Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we are invited by our readings and our liturgy to reflect on peace, which is appropriate because though we long for peace, to say that our world is not at peace would be a gross understatement. Every day we wake up to news reports of brutality and bloodshed in Ukraine, of bombed out cities, tanks and missiles, displacement and destruction. And this, while other armed conflicts continue to rage around the globe. The war in Yemen, the world's worst humanitarian crisis, is in its seventh year. Over 100,000 have been killed, including over 10,000 civilians. Our world is not at peace. And in Myanmar, the BBC interviewed an 18-year-old high school graduate who was putting her university plans on hold so that she can take up arms against the military junta in one of the world's most recent civil wars. Over 10,000 have already died in that conflict, which began after the coup in February of last year. Our world is not at peace. We hear these stories of conquest and civil strife against the background of our own experience of tension, conflict, and violence in Canadian society. Deep political divisions that tear families and communities apart. Violent Islamophobia, like the killing of a Muslim family in London, Ontario, and the discovery of mass graves on the grounds of residential schools a reminder of our country's long legacy of violence against indigenous people. Our world and our society are not at peace. All of this sits heavy on our hearts when we listen to the reading from Isaiah, this prophetic vision of a peaceful future. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations, all the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. God shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. How do those words make you feel? Be honest with yourself. Do they sound naive? Do they sound like a fantasy? Contrasted 
and confronted with such a bold proclamation about the future, let's be honest, sometimes hope seems difficult. Despair can be our greatest temptation, even as people of faith. So let's acknowledge those feelings, but I'm going to invite you to set them aside just for a moment as we consider what Isaiah has to teach us about peace. Because Isaiah's world was much more similar to ours than we might imagine. Isaiah was living during the Assyrian invasion of Judah, and what he wrote about his own country sounds like it could be ripped right from today's headlines. Just a few verses before this morning's reading, in Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet says this, Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And daughter Zion is like a booth in a vineyard, like a shelter in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Isaiah is not naive about the state of the world, far from it. He proclaims his message of hope from a besieged capital city. From Zion, he looks out over the countryside of Judah and sees nothing but rubble, cities smashed to pieces by the Assyrian army. Try not to imagine a modern-day Isaiah prophesying in Canada or the U.S. Try to imagine a modern-day Isaiah prophesying in Ukraine or Yemen. Isaiah speaks to the people of a country beaten down by war, afraid for their very survival as a nation, tempted by despair. And in that context, he offers them a bold, confident promise of a very different future, a promise rooted in his rock-solid conviction that God is a God of salvation, redemption, and new life. The vision of the future begins with a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The nations stream to Zion like a rushing river. They call out to one another saying, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Isaiah entertains no violent revenge fantasies. This vision is a vision of justice, to be sure, but not of vengeance. The nations are not marched into Jerusalem against their will as defeated captives. No, the nations, all the nations, make pilgrimage to God's holy city of their own accord, uncoerced. And this is important because a few chapters later, Isaiah makes a provocative statement about which nations he has in mind. And just think about how shocking this would have sounded to Isaiah's audience. Isaiah chapter 19, verses 24 and 25. On that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, Israel, my heritage. Egypt, Assyria, and Israel. Egypt, of course, was the historic enemy of Israel, 
The Israelite people were enslaved under Pharaoh, laboring in bondage under the hot sun until God liberated them from captivity. Assyria, as I just noted, was the present-day enemy of Israel and Judah. Assyria was a vicious and brutal empire. It wiped Israel off the map quite literally just a few decades before Isaiah's prophetic career began. And the Assyrian army was in the process of devastating the countryside of Judah when Isaiah prophesied to the people. And not only that, but Egypt and Assyria were bitter rivals themselves. So imagine the disbelief, perhaps even the anger, of Isaiah's audience when he insisted that these three nations would one day live in peace and harmony, worshiping together on the mountain of the Lord. Perhaps Isaiah's audience was just as angry with him as the disciples and the crowds may have been with Jesus when he insisted, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Because who else would Jesus have been talking about but the hated Roman Empire, who like Egypt and Assyria had been terrorizing and exploiting the Jewish people? Jesus, like Isaiah, entertains no violent revenge fantasies, but tells his audience, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. If those words sound challenging to us, you can imagine how they would have sounded to the Jewish audience of Jesus living under Roman occupation. But let's be clear, neither Isaiah nor Jesus advocate excusing the brutality of Egypt, Assyria, or Rome. There is no peace without justice. In fact, for Isaiah, the way to peace goes through justice. Justice first, then peace. The nations go to Jerusalem, to God's holy mountain, to learn God's ways so that they might walk in God's paths. They must learn the way of humility so that they might unlearn the way of pride and arrogance. They must learn the way of cooperation so that they might unlearn the way of conquest and domination. But they don't just learn together. Disputes must be settled. Amends must be made. Isaiah tells us, God shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. Isaiah imagines God at the mediation table with former enemies. God sitting at the table mediating between victim and victor, oppressed and oppressor, who are now sitting eye to eye as equals before God, before the God who always defends the cause of the weak, but who also desires the salvation of all people. This process of worship, learning, and mediation forms the foundation for a lasting peace a transformation of the existing social order. A world that was once built on violence and bloodshed is now being built on fellowship and justice. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Psalm 46, which we heard sung so beautifully this morning, also expresses God's confidence and intention to bring warfare to an end and to destroy the weapons of war once and for all. But Isaiah's vision involves not just the destruction of weapons, but their transformation into instruments of agriculture. Resources once allocated to national security in Isaiah's vision are diverted to the process of food production. Imagine in our own days, the bloated military budgets of the nations being redirected so that we could eradicate hunger, food insecurity, and malnutrition. This is what Isaiah's vision is calling us to hope for. For Isaiah, peace is not just the cessation of hostilities. Peace is not just an end to armed conflict. Peace is so much more than just the absence of physical violence. Peace is a state of harmony and well-being, of fellowship and full stomachs. And perhaps most importantly, peace is the very presence of God, which we see both in Isaiah and in today's reading from Revelation. God makes his home among mortals, wiping every tear from our eyes, banishing death and quenching our thirst with the waters of life. We will be at peace when we are in harmony with God, each other, ourselves, and the world. But as we said before, our world is not at peace, and hope is not easy. As Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, once wrote, a strong case has been made that the defining mark of a post-industrial technological world is despair the inability to trust in any new and good future that is promised and may yet be given. I don't know about you, but this resonates with my experience. On my social media feeds, in the television and movies I consume, I can see there's a deep sense of despair in the culture right now, a deep pessimism about the future of humanity and our planet. It's hard for anyone, even in fiction, to imagine us finding a way out of our compounding crises. War, economic exploitation, mistrust and suspicion of our neighbors, racism and homophobia, an impending climate catastrophe. There's a reason why dystopian and post-apocalyptic novels are so popular these days. But despair, it's, it's corrosive. It produces resignation, cynicism, and apathy. The gift of the prophets is a gift of hope. Hope not in our ability to save ourselves, but in God's unrelenting love for us and for this creation. Hope in God's commitment to transformation and resurrection life. This hope is grounded in God's promise of a different future, 
of swords beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Taking hold of this promise requires faith and trust. Faith that what we see is not what will be. Trust that God is a God of resurrection and new life. And don't get me wrong, faith that God will usher in is ushering in a different future is not a passive faith that sits back and watches, waiting for God to act so that we don't have to. We are called to an active faith, to participate, to share in God's transformation of our world. We are called to be peacemakers. But it's that vision of a different future that sustains us even in the bleakest moments and the darkest days. The prophetic vision of Isaiah empowers us to live as Jesus has called us to live, to live as if the kingdom of God were already here. It empowers us to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, pray for those who abuse us, to give freely with no expectation of being paid back, to be merciful as God is merciful. Despair may be passive, but hope is active. May God's church be a prophetic community, carrying God's vision, God's shocking, surprising, and radical vision of peace and justice into the world like Isaiah and John before us. Let us not give in to the temptation of despair but let us put our trust in God's promise of new life, a promise fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whose risen life we share and proclaim. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.